Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series on the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his favorite church. Yes, pastors do have favorite churches, and Pastor Paul absolutely loved the believers at Philippi. In most letters, Paul offered lots of course correction. At Philippi, he offered none. Instead, he spoke to them with great affection about their impact and maturity in Christ. No other book in the Bible has more memorable and life-changing verses than Philippians. In this series, Dr. Benji Kelly leads his favorite church through memorizing these power-packed verses and maturing in Christ. How are we doing today, church? You guys sound wonderful. Certain all the campuses, it is the same. Welcome to New Hope Church. Welcome to part two of our Philippians series. I'm excited to, to be here today and to share today. Uh, before we get into it, I want to do a couple things. Number one, welcome to all of our campuses, uh, wherever you are and however you're joining us. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. Welcome to all of you that are here at Central as well. Uh, the other thing is this. Last week, Pastor Benji uh, did something cool at the beginning of his message. I want to reciprocate that to him. He, uh, he let everybody know at all the campuses that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so he said, you know, make sure that at all the campuses, if you appreciate a pastor or staff member here at New Hope Church, let him know that, which was cool. And then he said, don't appreciate him, which is ridiculous, right? That's our pastor. We love Pastor Benji. So I would say this, if you are appreciative of our pastor, Pastor Benji, uh, why don't you, before the month is out, just take a, take a moment, find some way to let him know how much you appreciate it. We can do that right now because I'm sure he's going to watch this at some point today. So together here and at all of our campuses, why don't we just uh, let Pastor Benji know how appreciative of him we are. Awesome. Well, Pastor Benji launched us into Philippians last week, and uh, he let us know that uh, Paul was writing a letter to the church at Philippi. It was a church that was very important, very special to Paul. He was also writing the letter from prison. So I want you to, to, to picture that today as we are continuing to journey into uh, this letter. He was writing this letter from prison. So he was writing it in the midst of hardship. He was writing it in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of challenges, he was writing this letter. So I, I wonder if you, if, you can, if you could picture him fastened in stocks, sitting in barbaric quarters, writing. It's moments like these, I think, that are defining for the church. If Paul uh, succumbs to the pain and the pressure, if he retreats, if he feels sorry for himself, the history of our church is very different. The history of, of, of the Christian church is a very, very different thing. So let me ask you this as we begin. If you were Paul, what would you do? If you were Paul, what would you do? Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus. If those words were ever true, they were true for Paul. Paul went from persecuting the church. He was literally killing Christians. Those who were following, following Jesus, he was killing them. And then one day he comes face to face with Jesus and his world is turned upside down. Little by little, he's invited into the church and he goes from being a persecutor of followers of Jesus to actually being a spokesperson for Jesus. And he's captured, he's captivated by his mission, his, his call, his goal, his purpose to share this good news. He's doing the right things. He's growing the church. Good things are happening. People are, are finding hope. They're finding life. They're following Jesus. And by doing these good things, Paul 
gets placed in prison. So let me ask it again. If you were Paul, what would you do? You're doing the right things, and it gets you put in prison. Maybe a way to drive it home a little closer for us today is to ask it this way. What do you do? What do you do today? You're trying to do the right things. You're trying to get ahead. You're trying to lead at home. You're trying to lead at work. You're trying to be connected to the church. Maybe you got baptized recently. Maybe you're in a life group or you're serving. You're doing the right things in pain, suffering, challenges, resistance. Those things are still coming. What do you do? Do you succumb to the pressure and pain? Do you retreat? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Are the problems and the hardships of life overcoming you? We may not know what it's like to be like Paul and be put in prison for sharing the gospel, but we do know pain, don't we? We do know hardship. We do know confusion. We do know frustration. Those things we can, we can resonate with, with Paul. At the, at the top of your notes, I'm going to leave you some room for artistic expression. If you haven't pulled out your teaching notes, go ahead and pull those out. Those of you who have already found it are probably smiling. The very first line on the note says, blank happens. You are welcome to put in whatever you would like. All right? This, some flexibility here. I put on my notes, pain happens. You might choose a different word. Maybe you put in suffering happens. Stuff happens. Maybe those would be too strong words for you. Maybe you would just say today challenge happens. Resistance happens. Or you might say, you know what, pain and suffering, those are the exact words I would use. That's our world. That's our fallen world, right? Stuff happens. Pain happens. We're, we're certain that those things are going to come. But it's who we are in the midst of pain that determines the outcome of our lives. Who we are in the midst of that pain determines the outcome of our lives. We've often heard it said life is 10% of what happens to us, 90% of how we react to it, right? Life is 10% of what happens to us, 90% of how we react to it. Have you ever noticed that, that people have varying thresholds of pain? We, we all have different thresholds for pain. I wonder if we could be honest just for a minute. Here at, the, here at Central Campus and all the campuses, raise your hand if you are a bad patient. Like, you're, it's mostly guys, right? Like, I'm, I'm a terrible patient. When I'm sick, when I'm suffering, the world should take care of me, right? I want everyone to come to, to my bedside and make me feel better. I'm a terrible patient. Like, women typically are a little stronger, a little better. I see my wife go through labor three times. I'm convinced if she was to be hit by a Mack truck, she'd get up and just dust herself off, right? <laughs> but we all have varying degrees, varying, varying thresholds for pain. Have you noticed that in the pains of life, there are some people who can rise up and meet them and somehow come out better on the other side, while some of us shrink beneath them, and they, they, they overcome us little by little? What about the pains of life? Some of you, you've probably heard the name Robin Roberts. She's a host on Good Morning America on ABC. Uh, back, I think it was in the spring, I was listening to her. She, she gave a speech. That's her right there. She was uh, given an ESPY award uh, for, for courage. In a matter of just a few years, she, uh, she found out that she had breast cancer and fought it. 
She also found out she had to have a bone marrow transplant for a completely different disease. I can't even pronounce it. But she had a bone marrow transplant. All these things were coming to her just in a very short period of time. And when she was accepting this award, she was given this speech, and she said something that her mom taught her, and I'll never forget the line. I'll never forget this. She said, you need to make your mess your message. Isn't that a great line? You need to make your mess your message. I'm going to hang on to that. Some people can see the hardships of life through a different lens. They can go through the same thing as as someone else and just see it completely different. You see, today we're going to dive into the latter half of Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. If you've got your phone, iPad, whatever it might be, you're welcome to turn there or to be on the screen. In Philippians chapter 1, and really I think throughout the entire letter, Paul wants to teach us to increase our spiritual threshold for pain. He wants to teach us to, 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 that in Christ it's actually possible to increase our spiritual threshold for pain and come out better on the other side. In fact, in Philippians, Paul will teach us how to see the promise through the pain. He'll teach us how to see the promise through the pain. Paul wants us to see that if we lock our eyes on Jesus, if we lock our eyes on Jesus, the suffering in our life can actually serve to make us better, can actually serve to make us more potent for the gospel, can actually serve to take us deeper with God himself. Why is it that some people can rise up and meet the pain and come out better while others shrink beneath it? Let's hop into it. Chapter 1, verse 12, just a, I want to just do a quick line because I think it's important for us to come back to it throughout the message. Chapter 1, verse 12, just the first part, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, just, just that part. Paul's saying, I've gone through something. I've experienced something. I want you to, to gain from my insight, to gain from my experience. There's something I didn't know, and it's changed the way I look at suffering. And I want, I want it to change the way you look at it as well. And he's, it's not just to them, it's to us today as well. He goes on, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's saying, what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. This, this, this happening, me being put in prison, has actually become a catalyst for growth. He goes on, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The fact that I'm in here is, is becoming a witness to those who are around me. He goes on, because of my chains, catch that, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's saying those who are followers of Jesus are becoming emboldened because I'm sitting here in prison. How is that happening? Things like that don't happen on their own, right? Bad things don't happen and people are inspired by them. That doesn't happen on their own. It's happening because Paul is a catalyst for it. Paul's attitude, Paul's focusing on the promise in the midst of the pain is bringing about some redemption in the midst of this tough story. The way Paul is thriving amidst it is bringing about a greater story. See, to increase our spiritual threshold for pain, Paul's going to teach us a number of things throughout Philippians, and we're going to dive into a few of them today. The first thing is this. Suffering isn't the enemy of life. It often becomes the fuel to living more fully. Suffering is not the enemy of life. It often becomes the fuel to living life more fully. We get this, right? We get this. Before a beautiful baby comes into the world, 
There's childbirth. Before you can make it back to your high school weight. There's lots and lots and lots of exercise. Maybe some dreams we should just give up, right? Before landing your dream job, there's grunt work, there's school, there's training. Before a world-class athlete, there was hours and hours and hours of work being put in. We, we get this, right? Suffering is not the enemy of life. It often becomes the fuel to living more fully. Now, not all suffering is alike. I want to stop and kind of sit on this for a moment. Not all suffering is alike. Sometimes suffering is just the things that happen to us or the things that people do to us. Sometimes suffering are the things that we create. There's sometimes we bring suffering into our lives. There's a few things I want to say about this. The first is this. God can redeem any hurt. You need to hear that today. God can redeem any hurt. Jesus' death is our forever promise that whatever you've done, whatever has happened to you, nothing is wasted. God can redeem your hurt. There's no hurt that God will waste. In fact, he wants to take your hurt and make it your hope. He wants to take your hurt and make it your hope. But see, here's the second thing. If you keep coming back to the same place, if the things you're doing in life are keep bringing you back to the same suffering and pain, you're not fully living into his grace. A grace isn't just for forgiveness, it's for living. Are you following me? God didn't come to die on the cross and be resurrected just so you could be forgiven. That's a big part of it. He also did it so that you can live in him. And if you keep coming back to the same place, you're only stepping into a fraction of what he has for you. If you keep coming back to the same place, the same pain... The same stuff that you're creating, you're only beginning to step into the pool that God has waiting for you. And the last thing I want to say about this first part of suffering is this. Paul is not saying that God is doing it. He's saying God is rescuing it. He's not saying God is doing it. He's saying God is rescuing it. Now, I think there's times in the scriptures, I think there's times in our lives that God will bring hardship there to, to teach us something, to bring about something. I'm thinking of Lazarus. When Jesus comes into town, Lazarus is dead. And he says, this happened. I allowed this to happen so that you would believe. I wanted to bring about something greater in your life. I wanted to refine you. I wanted something better to come about in you. But it's really difficult for us to determine whether something is God-ordained or God-redeemed. right? Whether God's putting it in our life or he can just do something with it. But if we live every moment, if we live through every challenge as though God can redeem it, Everything we live through can be God-redeemed. Are you following me? Everything we do can be God-redeemed. Paul's saying, I'm here. God brought me here, but I couldn't have gotten here if I didn't go through this. I don't know why I went through this. I don't know how this came about, but I know I couldn't have gotten here if I didn't go through this. We always want to be here, right? Who doesn't want to be here? But sometimes we have to go through this to get to there. That's what Paul's saying. God isn't necessarily bringing it into my life, but he's using it because my eyes are locked on Jesus. He's writing a greater and better story. So let's keep reading what Paul's sharing with us. Verse 19. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. Paul's saying, the thing that's happening to me is taking me there. It couldn't have come about another way. It couldn't have come about another way. He goes on, I eagerly expect and hope. I love those words. I wonder if they've often fallen out of our language today. I expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Catch this, whether by life or by death. Whether by life or by death. What's Paul doing? He's keeping his eyes on the promise and not the pain. Right? There's things that happen in our lives that are far bigger than us. And Paul's saying, I know the God who's bigger than all of it. I know the God who's bigger than all of it. You see, you'll never see the God who's bigger if you're focused on the pain. Has pain ever decreased in your life by focusing on it? Right? Like you, you can stub your toe and it can hurt for days if you just keep thinking about it, right? Pain never goes away by thinking about it. And Paul's saying, stop looking at all the pain that's coming. Pain's coming. Are you looking at what God can do in the midst of it? You see, this, the next thing that Paul teaches us is this. We need to change our expectations. Paul says, I expect and I hope that I will not lose courage in the midst of this. I expect and I hope. He's saying, change your expectations in the times that are challenging. Right? Like I've never, I've never seen an, an, an Eeyore, right? We all know what an Eeyore is, right? I've never seen an Eeyore who's thriving in life, right? I've never seen an Eeyore Christian who's standing on God's promises. Change your expectations. Paul says, I don't know if I'll die. I don't know if I'll live, but I do know God will be lifted high in all of it. It doesn't matter what happens to me. This is not too big for my God. Paul's actually saying the outcome is equal to his expectations. The outcome is equal to his expectations. You see, we, we hinder God. We hinder his uh, options, his opportunities to move in our life when we don't lean on him in the midst of our suffering. We just sort of go into this, woe is me, and we're not leaning on him. We, we, we tie his hands. That's the opposite of what Paul's doing. See, Paul believes God is moving on his side because everything Paul is doing is moving towards God. He believes God's moving on his behalf because everything he's doing is moving towards him. The outcomes are going to be equal to his expectations. Now, some of you, and it's, it's not a bad argument, are think you're thinking, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I agree that the outcome is equal to my expectation. I've prayed before, I've expected before, and what I was praying for didn't come about. It's a fair argument. You might say, I've, I've prayed that my health would get better. I expected that it would, and it didn't. I've prayed and expected God to, to heal a loved one who's now passed away. How can you say outcome is equal to the expectation. You might say, I prayed, I expected God to heal my marriage or to, to, to bring redemption to a, to a broken relationship, and it's still broken. I've been praying and expecting God to step in and bring this dream about in my life for a very long time, and I'm still waiting. I've prayed and expected God to turn my finances around, and I'm still broke. How in the world can you say my outcome will be equal to my expectation. Let me say a couple things about that. The first is simply this. We can't expect God's will if we're not willing to be about God's ways. So often we, we want God's will. We want God's favor. We want God's blessing, but we're not willing to be about God's ways. 
God says, if you'll be about my ways, you're, you're putting yourself in position to bring about my will. But we can't put the will before the way. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? So often we want his will, but we're not willing to go through the work of his ways. That's the first thing. See, Paul's, Paul's center is Jesus. Everything about Paul is Jesus. He's focused on Jesus. His assurance, his expectation, his hope comes from the fact that he is steadfast in Jesus. He's not going anywhere. He's staying fixed on Jesus. Everything about Paul's life is fixed on Jesus. He's saying, the more I lean on him, the more he comes through. The more I put myself in positions that God has to move or I'm toast, the more he does. I'm fixed on Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's, I think he's venturing into a place that few of us ever even dare to go. He's fixed on Jesus. You see, here's the second part of this. Please hear this. The outcome that Paul is speaking of, the one I'm referring to, is God's ability to make something beautiful out of any mess in which we've come to find ourselves. The outcome that Paul is speaking of, the one I'm referring to, is God's ability to take any of our messes and turn it into something beautiful. Listen to Paul's words. He says, I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to die. That outcome, it's not up to me. See, Paul, he's sitting in prison. He's being beaten. He's sitting in chains. He's like, I don't know what's going to come of my body, but I do know what's going to become of my story. I don't know what's going to come of the physical things around me. I don't know what's going to come of my finances. I don't know what's going to become of that relationship. I don't know what's going to become of my health. But I know if my eyes are fixed on Jesus in the midst of them, my story is going to be different. My story is going to be more of Jesus. My story is going to be more of Jesus. Everything for Paul is Jesus being lifted higher. That no matter what he's going through, people's eyes are being lifted towards Jesus. In fact, our memory verse this week, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Let's say it aloud together. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's read it one more time. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's saying, if I live, awesome. That means I get it. I get to share more with you. That means more fruitfulness on your behalf. That means I get to spend time with you and make you better. But if I die, these chains come off and I get to go with Jesus. Whether I live, whether I die, it doesn't matter so long as people are focusing on Jesus. Everything about his life was about sharing that calling, about getting towards that goal that God gave him when he met face to face with Jesus. A few weeks ago, I heard a story. A lot of you probably did. There was a, a woman named Diana Nyad. She swam from Cuba to Florida. Maybe you heard about this. Now, I've got to be honest. When I first saw it, I was like, that's ridiculous. Why would you swim from Cuba to Florida, right? Like, there was nobody chasing her. Like, it seems like a lot to put yourself through. And then I started hearing her story, and I you know, heard a lot of what she was sharing afterwards. I was, then I, I kind of became pretty inspired by all of it. I want to I share an interview she had with CNN. She says this, with all the experience I have, especially in this ocean, I never knew I would suffer the way I did. For 49 hours, the wind just blew like heck and it was rough. It's probably an understatement. My whole mantra was find a way. If I don't like it, if I'm not doing well, find a way. You think to yourself, this hurts too much, maybe another day, 
So I kept telling myself, find a way. It was really rough that first day after the start. And I just said, forget about the surface up. Get your hands in somehow. And with your left hand, say, push Cuba back. Pull Florida towards you. Forget about slapping and grinding and feeling sick. Just push Cuba back and pull Florida towards you. I think that's what Paul is saying to us. When all this pain is swirling about you, when there's confusion, when there's things you don't understand, when there's, when there's pain, when there's hardship, when there's things that you're praying for that aren't coming about, when all this is happening, will you just push the pain back and pull Jesus towards you? Push the, push the confusion back and just pull Jesus towards you because in everything, Paul is saying, I want people to know that Jesus has already overcome this. He's already overcome. Everything for Paul was that people would see the good news of Jesus. Everything. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of that gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of that gospel. And see, here's the third thing he teaches us. Let your life reflect his overcoming work. Let your life reflect his overcoming work. What's the gospel? It's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that that all earth was spiraling towards death and destruction and darkness. We were a part of it. Jesus stepped into that. He absorbed our suffering and he rose back to life so that we could live in him. That's good news. Does your life reflect that overcoming work? Are you living in Christ? When people look at you, are they seeing the pain and the hardship you're going through? Or are they seeing Jesus in you? Are they seeing your struggle? Or are they seeing that God has already overcome that struggle in you? Paul's saying, let your life reflect that overcoming work. If Jesus defeated the grave, why are we living defeated? Let your life reflect that overcoming work. He goes on. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. I think verse 27 is kind of this turning point for all of Philippians. If you're going to be tracking with this throughout all Philippians, I want you to see this. Up till now, I think this has been Paul's introduction. If you could see it like a sermon, right? If you could see it like a, like a book with chapters, this was, this was the introduction. He's been setting us up. This is what's going on in my life. Here's what God's doing in the midst of it. Now I'm going to point you to Jesus and what he's doing in me and what he can be doing through you. Whatever happens, Paul is saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then the rest of Philippians is telling us how to do that. So here's, here's, he gives us a few keys. The first one, he says, be one. Be one. In other words, if you're going to increase your spiritual threshold for pain, you cannot, you will not do it alone. You cannot go through pain alone, right? For every world-class athlete, there's someone standing in their corner saying, you can do this, right? You, you've climbed this mountain before. You, you, you can push through this. You can get better. We need people around us. That's why we have life groups. That's why when there's service teams here at New Hope, no one serves alone, right? We're supposed to do life together. You need people around you. You need the church around you. The second thing Paul 
opens our eyes to here in verse 20. He says, be courageous. It goes back to the expectations. He's saying Jesus has already won. He already absorbed all that death. He already absorbed all that suffering, and he rose back up. If you're living in him, you can live above it as well. The only way our lives will reflect his overcoming work is if there's people around us, and if we expect that he's going to be moving in us. We have confidence in him, not in ourselves, that he can make our mess our message. He goes on, verse 29, For it has been granted to you, for it has been gifted to you. That's another way to look at it. On behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Those are strong words from Paul. It's been granted, it's been gifted that you would not only believe in him, but you would also suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, here's the next thing Paul wants to teach us. See the gift inside the resistance. See the gift inside the resistance. Suffering is a key that unlocks doors that cannot be found another way. Suffering, pain, hardship is a key that unlocks doors we can't even find another way. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, right? Salvation came into the world. Healing came into the world through the suffering of Jesus Christ. His suffering, his hardship brought healing to us. It was a, it was a door or I should say it was a key that unlocked the door that none of us could open. It was only through God sending his son that we could receive healing. Suffering unlocks doors that cannot be found another way. When I think about this, I think about my kids. There's those precious moments with them. There's times that they become hurt, and they come, and they run, and I get to take care of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact there are times I get to spend with them. There are things they get to see in me that they couldn't come about any other way. Now, I don't wish pain for them. I don't wish suffering for them. In fact, a lot of my life as a father is trying to protect them and send them away from the things that I know are going to hurt them. But there are times, right? There are sadness. There's, there's suffering. There's pain that comes in. And when they slow down, right? Sometimes pain is the only thing that slows a kid down. Sometimes suffering is the only time that they will take refuge in their parents, when they do that, they get to experience a side of me that they would not experience any other way. Right? They, they get to see me as the one who cleans their wounds. One who holds them when they've had a really bad day. One who kisses their heads when they're sad. One who calms when anger and frustration reign. One who rocks them when sleep won't come. One who helps them see past the moment that they're in. They get to see these aspects of me only when pain comes in and they, they choose to find refuge in dad. Throughout the scriptures, there's different names for God. There's different ways people will, will refer to God. There, there are things they say about God only after going through suffering and experiencing a new aspect of God. Of, God, I didn't know you'd step in in that case. I didn't know that you were that kind of a God. I always want to read a list of them, and maybe you need to, 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 to grab onto one or two of these today and say, yep, that, that's the God I need today. In Genesis 16, he's El Roi. He's the God who sees me. Do you need a God who sees you today? Do you feel like your value and your worth are at an all-time low, and it, it would just help to know that God sees you? Genesis 16 says he does. He sees you. Genesis chapter 22, Yahweh Yireh. He's the Lord who will provide 
Do you need provision today? Do you need God to step in to your life? Exodus 15, he's Yahweh Rophe. He's the Lord who heals. We often sing a song around here called Healer. Do you need a healer today in some facet of your life? Exodus 17, he's Yahweh Nisi. He's the Lord, my banner. In other words, he's the God who fights for me. He's the God who fights for me. Judges 6, he's Yahweh Shalom. That one might be noticeable. The Lord is peace. Do you need peace in your life today? Are you grabbing hold of one of these? Psalm 144, Yahweh Tesuri, the Lord is my rock. Psalm 23, Yahweh Roi, the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. Psalm 91, he's my own. He's my dwelling place. He's also Moxe. He's our refuge. Magan, he's our shield. Matsude, he's our fortress. What kind, of a, what kind of a father do you need today? In fact, in Luke 15, he is simply that. He's Abba. He's father. Job 19, he's got all, which means God the redeemer. God the redeemer. Nothing in your life is wasted. No hurt that comes in cannot be your hope. God says, I want to do something beautiful in you. I want to take your broken pieces. I want to take your ruins and do something glorious in them and through them. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he says it this way. I love this quote. God whispers to us in our well-being. He shouts to us in our suffering. He whispers to us in our well-being. He shouts to us and our suffering. I wonder if there were times where you were going through something, you felt like God was so far away, you didn't realize he was actually shouting to you. I want to teach you something. I want to grow you in the midst of this. God might be saying, you you didn't bring this in, it just came, but I want to redeem it. This is something that happened to you, and the, the person meant you wrong, but I want to do something beautiful in it. You see, your past is a landscape for which God can paint his picture of redemption. Your past is his landscape in which he can create something beautiful that you can't even see today. Now Paul goes on. This is where we're going to land today. Jumping into the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In other words, get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself. If you're focused on loving and building up others, you're not focused on what's tearing you down. Paul says, you were created to look at yourself. You were created to look up and to look out, to love others, to build others up. If you're just focused on your pain, you're never going to be elevating those around you. Now think about this. When Jesus suffered, he elevated us. I wonder if our prayer could be, God, when I'm going through this challenge, when I'm going through this resistance, Jesus brought me life through his suffering. Let this suffering bring life to somebody else. Let this suffering bring life to somebody else. There's something profound when we can resonate with someone else's suffering, right? There's, There's been moments in your life where you've gone through something only to meet somebody else later who went through the same thing and it made you feel better, right? Not because they went through the suffering, but because you felt like you weren't alone, I wonder if our prayer would be, God, help me to make somebody else feel not alone. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I was talking to a friend about a week ago, and he shared this story with me. I'm like, I've got to share this with New Hope. I've got to share. 
Now, it's going to sound like I'm making this up just for a great metaphor and a great story on stage, but it happened. It's true. My friend, he said he was, he was, um, he was watching a potter one day as they were working on their pottery, and he was just fascinated. He was kind of mesmerized, and he was just really dialed into it. Started asking questions, was just really watching everything they were doing. And as they were going, he was noticing that as they were shaping the pottery, they would take pieces off and they would throw them in a box. And he noticed they kept doing this and he kind of got nervous for the potter. He was like, I wonder if I should go get them more clay to, to, so they can keep working on this, this creation. So he says to them, I, I see that you're throwing away a lot of scraps, a lot of broken pieces. Can I go get you more clay? And she looked at him and said, oh no, we never waste the broken pieces. Those are the best to work with. Oh no, we never throw away the broken pieces. Those are the best to work with. So my friend, he kept inquiring and pushing further. And she said, oh yeah, those, that, that are those broken pieces you see in the, in the box, they've already felt the pressure of the potter's hands. Those pieces that are in the broken box, they, they've already begun to be molded. Now I can bring them back in and create something beautiful. I wonder if we would see God saying that to us today. You thought you were broken beyond repair. You thought your pieces were just broken. Let me take them and show you what I can do with them. Let me take you and show you how beautiful I can make your life. I wonder if we would look at the midst of our hardship, maybe something we're going through now, maybe it's something that's been in our past, or we just need to lock onto this for the future. God, this pain is not going to have the final word. This suffering is not going to have the final word. This challenge, this resistance, it's only going to serve to make me better. It's only going to serve to make me more potent for the gospel. And in the end, God, it's going to make me closer to you. God, take these broken pieces. I lift them up to you. Do something beautiful with them. Let's pray together. Father God, Father, we can stand in your presence in this moment because your love never fails. Nothing in our lives are wasted. We can stand in your presence right now because of the overcoming work of Jesus Christ. We were broken, we were separated from you, and Jesus stepped in to raise us to life in you. God, I pray if there's someone in here today that, that they just came to that Revelation. They, they just understood that for the first time. God, that in this moment, they would just lift their heart to you. To begin following you with their whole lives. God, I pray for all of us that, that we would lock our eyes on you, that the goal, the priority in our lives would not be us, would not be our finances, would not be our well-being, but it would be about people knowing about Jesus. If we're going to follow Paul, if we're going to listen to what he's saying to the church of Philippi, that's it. Lock on to Jesus. And in doing so, we can increase our spiritual threshold for pain. And in so doing, we can elevate those around us. We can get to know you in ways we never knew you before. God, today, I pray that chains would come loose. God, I pray that today that we would look solidly into your love. We will walk out of these doors today better, trusting, believing that your work overcomes. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It happens today. God, help us to believe that, that pain 
is not the enemy of life. It actually can serve to be the fuel for us living more fully. God, take our broken pieces and create something beautiful in your hands. So your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.